0: and an indó e e e in language. Si i, an an I an a and a of Chacht one between延leg and continent-oriented
1: history.
0: I want to make sure
1: that I'm
0: backing my eyes to pull my eyes out from my ears from scratch. I i Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunny Independent. And this week we're talking to uh, our man in Seattle on the West Coast, Tommy Collison. Tommy, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. Well, we're not actually having you. You're sitting in Seattle as we speak, right? It's, it's eight o'clock in the morning. It's four o'clock here.
1: Well, that, that's true, I guess. Thank you for for, uh, for inviting me on at least.
0: Cool. We're going to talk a little bit about tech and politics on the West Coast. Um, We're going to talk about you being an immigrant tech worker because you wrote an interesting column for us um, the other week about this. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, what it's like to live there right now, um, the climate. We're going to get, might possibly touch on things like Elon Musk. You wrote another interesting column uh, about uh, the reception to Elon Musk, particularly outside Silicon Valley. And we might even get on to things like the new iPhones or or, or whatever. But first of all, you described yourself in your most recent... Recent conference for as an immigrant tech worker and you had an interesting take on that and what it feels like in Seattle which is we all know is the home of Amazon and Microsoft and Boeing and other companies like that. Um, sum up for me what it feels like to be um, someone who comes into a, a, a city like Seattle and what the issues are around that.
1: Yeah for sure so for context Seattle is about a two-hour flight From the Bay Area Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of proximity as well as the history of kind of uh, having uh, Amazon and Microsoft and Boeing is is particularly interesting because on the one hand you're uh, kind of a a really good tech hub where you're kind of close to the to the kind of important areas you have a lot of this talent you've got a lot of people uh, and companies attracting this talent but Seattle itself kind of was never really on the map when it comes to technology. And so you have kind of a lot of tension between the people who have been here a long time, uh, versus the kind of incoming tech workers uh like myself, mm-hmm. uh who who are kind of coming in over the last uh kind of three or four years, in that Seattle's population has grown by about a hundred thousand mm-hmm. since twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Um and and this I think is kind of causing a bit of kind of friction between the the, the new folks and the older, uh, the older guard. And that
0: friction manifests itself typically with, with what, with a higher rental, the kind of stuff we see here in Dublin as well, higher rents, uh, stuff like that.
1: Exactly, higher rents, but also something a little more more strong in the sense that uh, kind of over the last kind of year or two, there have been protests um, against Amazon and against these big tech companies. Uh, a bus that was taking workers to Microsoft was kind of blocked by protesters, and the same thing happened with a streetcar uh, that some Amazon workers were on. And so we're really kind of seeing. Um, what might be a little bit of kind of underlying tension actually come to the surface in in some uh, in some cases as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And just to, to give people an idea, Seattle, which is a city uh, that I traveled to about uh, six to eight weeks ago, we did a podcast from there. We actually we did it actually on homelessness um, and and whether or not the tech boom there was um, contributing to that in the same way as it may contribute to it in, in other uh, cities like San Francisco. But the feeling I had there was definitely of a place that really is at the moment Amazon has this big shiny headquarters now uh, downtown Microsoft is outside the city in Redmond but it still has it's about to spend an absolute fortune on uh, updating that and you know you see things like scooters and and things buzzing around the place and it does feel now like a, a place that's kind of quite rich um, is that is that your kind of appreciation or what's it like to live in that sort of milieu
1: Totally, it, it sort of feels like living, uh, what I imagine living in San Francisco kind of five or 10 years ago was, where kind of there's this sense that we're hurtling towards some big, uh, you know, obviously the, the some big problem. And, you know, in San Francisco, the housing prices, I mean, it, and the homeless crisis and the, the kind of the general kind of services and the tension between mm. local government and the tech companies uh, has really kind of come to a head um, in San Francisco. And it sort of feels like we're kind of rocketing along toward that point in kind of five to 10 years mm. in the sense of, you know, kind of housing prices are, are going kind of haywire. Um, and uh, the, 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 as I kind of said, like the tensions really are kind mm-hmm. of ratcheting up. And so it feels like we're, we're, we're kind of moving towards something kind of serious. But so, and you, kind of you, you, made,
0: you made a point in, in your column. You said that uh, I mean, you get into a taxi and a taxi driver might say something. Oh, so are you Microsoft or Amazon or, or, or you know, who are you from? Do yeah. you get do you get the sense ever that you're tagged as being part of the problem?
1: Uh, t- totally. I mean, I, I mean, as a kind of young, nerdy-looking guy, I think you know, you're not nerdy at all, Tommy. And, uh, well, well,
0: In fact, <laughs> you just had a uh, you just had a whole new set of byline shots taken, which I think we're going to uh, we're going to use. And uh, nerdy is not the first word that would come to mind. <sighs>
1: Well um maybe it's a it's a kind of a proportional thing in San, in, in yeah, San Francisco and Seattle mm-hmm. but uh, but thank you for saying so but but so I think if you're kind of young and you look like you spend too much time on a computer uh, the kind of locals and the bartenders and the taxi drivers in Seattle kind of t- tied you as like one of those tech folks yeah um as I think I mentioned, I'm kind of insulated because the, the the tech company that I work for is actually a, a nonprofit or a, an NGO uh-huh.
0: um, you do you do you work for TOR, is that right?
1: i do yeah, yeah that, and that's our, our for
0: folks for. at home that's the 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 onion router that's the essentially the technology oh well you, you explain what it is
1: sure um it's a privacy preserving web browser um mm-hmm. basically that you know if, if data is the new oil or whatever they say and kind of websites are tracking you six ways to sunday uh our web browser is a way of priv- of browsing the internet kind of more mm-hmm. privately mm-hmm. Than, than other web browsers and so working for a nonprofit, i think does kind of take the edge off people's ire um when it comes to talking about, about seattle but like everyone here like the west coast in general has uh, a good work ethic in the sense of that mm-hmm. you know people do want to work and people do people are proud of you know kind of the the kind of stereotypical like putting in their day's work or whatever mm-hmm. and so uh, it's an interesting tension to have where you know people value hard work but you know only some kind you know with, with not all Work is created equal. Sort of thing. Well, we see that. Uh, we, I
0: mean, we see that here in Dublin as well, um, uh, with uh, big tech companies, um, and in particular, there is a narrative around tech companies because they are the ones that often uh, take the shiniest office in the centre of the city, and the people who work there tend to be people who want to be able to walk to work or cycle to work, and and they tend to. So snap up uh, whatever townhouses or apartments uh, are available. And so there there is this kind of narrative that's starting to mushroom about a two tier work environment where if you work in tech, maybe the wages are a little bit higher, so therefore um, you can afford to live in a certain area. And what's more, there will be uh, specialists or engineers, because there's a skills shortage that will come in from other places to the city and then if you are a local or if your kid is a local, you feel or it's tempting to feel. And I've seen some uh, elements trying to stir this up a bit uh, to sort of stir this idea that it's them what's coming from outside the city that's increasing the rents.
1: Totally, totally. I kind of joke living in Seattle that it's like living in Dublin, but mm. they use dollars and Fahrenheit. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: that's in, not all they use. They use all sorts of weird stuff. By the way, I still but, can't uh, get. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, that's that's true. We also have the coffee and the craft breweries and other such American shenanigans.
0: Yeah, and um, and sales tax. I like for a European, just it's still bizarre to walk into a shop. Oh, that's ninety nine dollars. Yeah, that'll be one hundred seventeen dollars, please, sir. What? Yeah, well, you got federal tax, you got sales tax. by the way, there's a Tuesday tax in case you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway listen, we go right. into, uh, we go into in, into a tangent there, but um, but so and but the other point you you raised in your column was that despite this initial friction that there is possibly another side to this, another softening of it because of the nature, the character of some of, ironically, the tech workers who are um, you know taking root in the city.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and as background, kind of Seattle has always been known as being kind of a friendly, but not particularly warm place. Um, a, a newspaper here kind of called it the Seattle freeze. Mm. And even just from my own experience, you know, I moved to Seattle, I made friends with the people at my nonprofit, I made friends with the uh, my neighbors at my apartment building who like me, were kind of young single folks who moved here for a job, I didn't really know anyone mm. kind of when they moved here. Um, and you know all of my friends are transplants and so i think what's kind of happening is is this kind of um seattle freezer, this kind of unfriendliness is actually starting to, to 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 lose ground or to thaw or whatever just because of the kind of so many people coming and uh making friends kind of with each other um and that it kind of sounds simplistic but but i don't think i know that many people who lived in seattle even kind of five years ago, let alone ten.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. I, do you know what's funny about that? I've written about this before myself. Is I, while that is a, a comforting thing and almost a community thing because you 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 have a community. Do you worry or do you fear that in 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 identifying and and in associating with people largely who have arrived there as well? That you may not be getting to know locals in the city and vice versa, that locals may not be getting to know some of the people who are arriving there to work.
1: Totally. And I mean, you know, the the, the latest thing to talk about on social media and social networks is this idea of the filter bubble, uh, this idea that. Sorry, what's that? The what bubble? The filter bubble, oh, sorry. Oh, the filter this bubble, sorry.
0: Gonna, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, this idea that you have this kind of echo chamber mm-hmm. that you only hear from the people you already agree with. Yeah. Um, and I think that before there were online filter bubbles. I agree with that, bubbles, Tommy. Totally. Um, I, I agree with your that point were, that you're making here. Yeah, and there's offline, you know, before Facebook came along, there were offline filter bubbles. Mm-hmm. And to an extent, I don't know how new this is in the sense that, you know, the, 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 people keeping to their own, um, did not start with tech workers in Seattle. I, I do kind of worry that there isn't kind of part of the reason that there's such a backlash against tech in Seattle mm-hmm. is, is that we don't know, you know, there's not a lot of kind of cross. It's, it's like a, a secondary school Debs or whatever where, you know, the guys on one side, the girls on the other, and there's kind of never the same That wasn't meet.
0: my Debs, I can tell you. But anyway, go on. <laughs>
1: um, I, <laughs> I'm telling you, awkward, awkward. Mind awkward
0: you, you grew up in Limerick, you didn't know? you?
1: Yeah, it's true. Okay. Um, yes. well. Yeah, but, but what happens in Limerick Adrian stays in Limerick, let's not, Fair enough. Um, let's not talk just, about that. Just
0: just can can I pick you up on the filter bubble point actually, because it the, the it. filter bubble point is something that um we hear and I I do believe it's true. However, I You know, it's the way some people talk about filter bubbles and social networks, you would swear that this only started with, you know, Twitter and Facebook for years. Like the industry that I'm in, the newspaper business, the media business, um, that has essentially been a series of filter bubbles, uh, you know, privately for the last 20 years. You you live in the States, so, you know, your television options you have for news, you have Fox News, MSNBC, CNN or the mainstream networks, right? Now, Fox Mm -hmm. News... Like, you can't tell me that people who sit down and watch Fox News, including the President of the United States, aren't part of one giant self-affirming filter bubble. And the same, by the way, for MSNBC and CNN on the other side of the uh, the political spectrum. And you see it in newspapers as well. Like in the UK, um, you know, The Guardian for years has essentially been one group of people um, essentially agreeing with themselves. While the Telegraph and particularly the Daily Mail on the other side has been another bunch of people, albeit a slightly bigger bunch of people, um, agreeing with themselves. So um, sometimes I think we do social networks a bit of a, not a disservice because they don't need any of our sympathy or Charity. They're doing well enough, but um, the whole filter bubble stuff was here a a long time before the social networks, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely. It's kind of like that scene in, in Casablanca where it's like, you know, I'm shocked, shocked to imagine <laughs> that people, you know, m- much prefer to, to be with people who already agree yeah. with them and they don't. Really I, th- th- I
0: think stuff. the I think the full quote, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here. I think the full quote there was, um. I'm shocked, shocked that there's gambling going on here. Oh, thank you very much for my winnings. Wasn't that the same? Uh, where your man? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, peda- totally. pedantic, pedantic Casablanca point there. Um, I, I,
1: absolutely. I, I recently watched it for the first time after you know
0: for the first time
1: hearing. Yeah, after hearing the references and kind of people quoting and, you know, round up the usual suspects and all that jazz. um, And it it was There's one scene in that that still
0: makes this hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's one of the few scenes in film that does so. And that's when Victor Laszlo, the Swedish um, underground refugee who's running from the Nazis. Um, he appears on the balcony of the cafe. And this is occupied Morocco. This is Casablanca, occupied Morocco. And the German uh, officers, the Nazi officers, start singing uh, a, a Nazi song. And uh, La- Victor Laszlo won't have any of it, exposes himself on the balcony, and instructs the local band to start playing the Marseillaise, the French Revolutionary National Anthem. And Rick. Um, Humphrey Bogart allows the band to continue and, and, and you can feel the whole swelling of emotion um, as everyone in the cafe other than the German soldiers belts out La Marseillaise even as I'm talking about it I can actually feel the hairs on the, neck, the back of my neck uh, 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 kind of rising um, so yeah. for that reason alone if any of our listeners have not seen Casablanca go and see it or even just YouTube that one moment actually don't YouTube that one because then you won't, you won't get the full contact go and see the movie would you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Nothing to do with tech whatsoever. However, we managed to <laughs> to get ourselves drilled. Okay, let me ask you just a general point. Um, there's loads of ways you could think about this, but tech and politics on the West Coast. There's a million different ways of looking looking at this. What do you think? What's the climate there like at the moment? And is there any interaction or any any intersection between the two?
1: Yeah. So historically the West Coast has been where you build the future, and Mm -hmm. DC has been where you, I don't know, legislate the future. Like these are the two kind of real powerhouses in America right Mm -hmm. now. And for a long time, there was, um, the West Coast was kind of let off on its own Mm -hmm. in the sense of, oh, we're building cool things. You know, Apple came out of it and then later Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, Facebook and Twitter had a lot of good publicity and a lot of good sentiment. when they were beginning, you know, Twitter in two thousand nine, when it was used in the revolutions in the Middle East, you know, the Arab Spring, um, kind of had a lot of good press. You know, Twitter will bring democracy to, to the world or whatever. Um, and that goodwill has basically entirely run out now. And and the, the, we're talking about the interplay between tech and politics. Um, the really kind of the other shoe has dropped in the sense that now we're talking about fake news and russian meddling and election hacking yeah um facebook you know everyone's worried that they're spending too much time or that it's making us you know more anxious and and you know all of this sort of worry and mm. so i think that really kind of silicon valley's head start and this idea that it was a place for kind of trying new things and experimenting and kind of mm not quite permissionless, but, you know, not a lot of rules and regulations. Um, I think we could see that period really kind of coming to an end mm. over the next couple of years as uh, both the American public and kind of, I guess, the public at large in other countries as well. But, but both the public and the American government really kind of, you know, feeling like they've been had um, and, and feeling like maybe they they gave these fellows kind of too long of a leash.
0: Mm, that's interesting. Um, and do you think that, do you see any triggers for that? Are there any issues that are, have brought that sharply into light?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think the uh, the most recent presidential election, um, which gave us uh, what we'll say, the, what we'll call the current administration, mm. really kind of shook people in the sense that people really didn't think um, that it was possible. And so every kind of news story that comes out where it talks about the, the kind of the Trump campaign using Facebook to to reach voters or the Russian government you know, trying to interfere to the kind of explicit benefit of one candidate over the other. Um, you know, people are kind of searching around for explanations of how did this happen um, when it comes to the most recent election um, and the election of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And this idea that Facebook, uh, you know, was, was a part of it and might have been manipulated. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg in a suit in front of Congress saying, you know, basically we did get this wrong. Um, I, th- I think that they could possibly be made into this kind of scapegoat where they were a little bit at fault, but, you know, not entirely. But this is going to cause like a sea change in in the opinion of, of these tech companies. Mm.
0: Generally speaking, um, Silicon Valley in California has had a reputation of being... Um, liberal broadly sort of center center liberal is would you characterize that as still being the case when it comes to the intersection of tech and politics i mean i've interviewed tim cook a couple of times and and he has definitely come across to me as in some definitions the word being liberal certainly probably leaning more towards the Democrats. He didn't say that, but that was my um, impression. And you do get that impression from people like uh, Mark Benioff of uh, Salesforce, um, some other um, heavy, heavy hitters, and some uh, a lot of senior media tech figures as well, like Kara Swisher. But then on the other hand, you do have figures like Peter Thiel, who famously um, opted for uh, Trump. Um, what is the climate now? Would you still characterize it as being um, liberal?
1: Yeah, still broadly liberal. I mean, the American political system and it's kind of two party idea doesn't leave a lot of room for nuance. And I like to to kind of give you an example. I mean, obviously, everyone in Silicon Valley is broadly socially liberal Mm. uh, in the sense of kind of same sex marriage and and being kind of in favor of that. And kind of generally being very, I mean, California, you know, the the counterculture of the 60s. This is the, the kind of intellectual and cultural kind of predecessor to today's Silicon Valley. And so it is very open and very liberal. There there is a sense though, especially with the kind of Californian legislature and the Californian kind of local government, that you can't just raise taxes forever. I mean, we were talking already about about kind of sales taxes and how something that costs one thing actually costs so much more after you factor in tax. And you know, the California legislature is is busy regulating how many scooters can be on the road and they're busy saying that oh we need to have this new gross receipts tax and you know here in seattle we had we had another tax that was kind of particularly targeting large businesses and kind of particularly amazon Mm -hmm. and so there's this kind of frustration that, that this idea that that you know the democrats are you know, my party in the sense that they're kind of not socially backwards. And yet there's kind of so much going on when it comes to regulation. There's so much going on in the sense that, like, they seem to want to raise taxes, you know, ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of when I moved here, I was kind of struck by like, wow, there really is kind of two very narrow political definitions I can have. And people in America really like to define themselves by who they voted for in the last election. Mm. Um, and increasingly, kind of the, the labels aren't fitting well. Um, I mean, to, to give another example, you know, the, the, the Republicans are less interventionist in the sense of less willing to go to war. And the Democrats, you know, the Democrats have launched how many military strikes and and kind of uh m- military operations yeah i mean that, uh, listen that over, is entirely
0: f- entirely fair i mean um uh president obama who a lot of listeners would be very popular with a lot of listeners i quite liked him as well i don't mind saying um but he did absolutely multiply the number of drone strikes and airstrikes um mm-hmm. in a way that if a republican president did we probably would hold them to account a lot more harshly and uh, so you so you're dead hey. right yeah
1: Exactly. So, so if you kind of like me are, uh, you know, socially liberal, but not particularly willing to just fight endless wars all the time, there really yeah. is kind of no home for you in American mm-hmm. politics recently. I
0: mean, the other thing to be said about um, uh, what has always struck me about um, p- political orthodoxy among a lot of tech executives uh, who have espoused one has been, I think, and you put you your uh, uh, you put your finger on, finger on it when you said it is socially liberal, but it's not necessarily fiscally liberal. Um, In fact, some of the tech companies really uh, have kind of defined the art of um, managing to skillfully avoid um, civic, uh, financial and fiscal uh, responsibilities, which is another way of saying they're very, very good at, at legally avoiding tax um and uh, and that is one thing they do get criticism for and probably legitimately so they they will say look we're just working within the laws and that's absolutely correct but they're they're a little bit smarter than than everybody else so they know how to avoid them um uh, slightly better um so um and and you see this you do see this uh, picture painted uh, uh, from I mentioned Car Swisher, uh, Rico journalist ex, um, Wall Street Journal. She paints a picture often of the typical stereotypical tech executive who will say the right things and who believes in solidarity with uh, their, their fellow human and, and who is all in favor of things like immigration. But when it comes to things like tax rates has a lot more in common with kind of Steve Forbes on the right wing of the Republican, or the libertarian right wing of the Republican Party.
1: Uh, absolutely, and and kind of, it's not just that they're getting very clever with kind of how to figure all this out. It's also that have the uh, political clout to, in, in many cases, kind of talk to the lawmakers either as the, these laws are being drafted or mm-hmm. kind of talking in the general sense of what laws they would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's a kind of a, a mix of conniving and also kind of uh, ha- mm-hmm. having the power to actually get the ear of the right people.
0: Speaking of people you wrote another interesting column column for us a couple of weeks ago and it centered broadly speaking on on the 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 fascinating personage of Elon Musk who everybody knows is uh, the Tesla founder and also SpaceX founder and uh, what's the name of his solar solar city right its the name is yep. uh, solar company and He's kind of gone off the rails a little bit in the last few weeks, gone off the rails as in he has been a little bit erratic on social media. He said some very, very erratic things. But you wrote an interesting column, which I thought was worth picking up because you pointed out that within um, Silicon Valley and within tech circles in, in general, he still holds an awful lot of water because of his ambition and because of the the, the things he's actually achieved, Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I mean, kind of what was interesting to me about the Elon Musk um, kind of, uh, and and in particular, one particular event uh, surrounding Elon Musk where there were the Thai um, football team or whatever Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. trapped in the cave, Mm -hmm. and he offered to help. And and, and that kind of offer of help, and he built like a small submarine or something, um, received a very different reactions kind of depending on where you were mm. uh, in that outside of Silicon Valley, outside of the West Coast, you have this kind of, you know, why is this billionaire coming in and kind of butting in when, when the government kind of has this under control or whatever. And within Silicon Valley, where, for as you said, Elon Musk still has a kind of significant cachet, um, there was this sense of, oh, wow, you know, this person is running how many billion dollar companies mm. and still has time to, you know, email with the thai government and kind of mm. have some engineers uh look into a possible backup solution or whatever mm. um th- th- this was before again the most recent thing of the tesla stock and the calling one of the british divers um yeah i Ohio. mean it,
0: uh, yeah and and to, so to uh, to to be clear and this has been reported all over the press so we're not going out with a limb and saying it. the um, elon musk w- has repeatedly tweeted Pretty defamatory things about one of the yes. lead, um, uh, one of the leads in a British diver who was helping rescue those uh, Thai kids, and he uh, r- repeatedly referred to him as, as a as a pedo, which something the is something the the, the diver had uh, very very forcefully denied. All media uh, outlets all over the world have picked this up and reported this, so we're not going out on a limb on this podcast by by saying that. Um, but the general point. Uh Just to start with, I'll come on to the the controversial bit in, in a minute. you sure. th- You think that Elon Musk does come into this with a relatively large bank of goodwill and benefit of the doubt in terms of his his initial intentions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He has this reputation within Silicon Valley, which I think is kind of shared by a lot of the entrepreneurs here of really trying to tackle a hard problem. and you know when he started, say Tesla, you know, no one had started a car company for decades, um, and kind of no one really believed that electric cars could be made cost effectively or could get the range required. And And now he's kind of done that. Mm. And so he does have a lot of, I mean, this, of course, being alongside his success with PayPal in the early 2000s. Um, he does have a lot of kind of startup capital in the, in the sense mm. of kind of, as you said, goodwill. I mean, he has proven that he can do things and really kind of deliver on what sounds like at the beginning a pretty outlandish promise. Mm. And that's the sort of thing that's really respected, but the, having the, the grand vision, but also the follow through.
0: Yeah. And yet he has been and let's politely call it erratic on twitter uh, over the last yes. month and it's not just his stuff uh, about with the british diver but um he uh, famously tweeted just randomly that he was thinking of taking tesla uh, private which caused an absolute panic in the stock price and he may well be investigated um for that by uh, authorities um, in the u.s and um he admitted in an interview with the New York Times that he is increasingly relying on pharmacological aids. Now he name-checked Ambien, which is a sedative, which is something that's supposed to help you sleep. Um, he appeared on the Joe Rogan uh, podcast show last week, smoking a giant spliff. So we know it's not just Ambien; it's at least Ambien plus weed that he that he, that he's he's using. So, um, and yet at the same time, he's. You know, he's sleeping in a tent or under his desk trying to get the Tesla Model 3 um, made. But the question, I think, is, I, is there a view over there, one way or the other, that he's kind of coming close to breaking point, that he's just putting too much physical strain on himself?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's broadly fair. And I think that kind of Tesla shareholders um, would would really appreciate uh, if if someone, uh, kind of a, a number two, was brought on to kind of take the, the strain off mm. of him day-to-day, and kind of, I, I, I think there's probably some arrangement where someone is, is kind of running the company broadly, and then Elon is, I don't know, head of the board, but kind of allowed to really engage his sort of visionary thinking yeah. without kind of, I, I, I think the tension is largely coming from the fact that he's, he has to do everything right um and i think that if the tesla board can can kind of convince him to 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 loosen his knuckles a little bit i think that uh i think that that could be really powerful
0: okay before we leave you tommy any other anything else uh, special or interesting happening over there i know the ipads were or the iphones were launched recently um and i did completely coincidentally bump into you um the day after that uh randomly in san francisco um but uh are you uh is there anything on the horizon that's uh, that has anybody uh, talking
1: um not so much in Seattle, but I mean, as you said, kind of with the apple launches the the watch mm. um I think was the most interesting thing that Apple released last week it was obviously. Wasn't it? Yeah. I, I I think so in the sense that iPhone releases are kind of becoming a little bit um. Uh, a little bit boring in the sense of okay, we released a phone. It is mm. like slightly lighter, maybe slightly bigger. The battery is slightly better. The camera is slightly better. Uh, there's kind of only you know, this is like the tenth iPhone or or maybe eleventh. I've lost count of this and but there's only kind of so many times that that'll be interesting.
0: Mm. Um, but but, but Tommy, watch, but Tommy, this one ahead. has this one has a six point five inch screen.
1: A 6.5-inch screen, is that so much better than a 5.8 screen, Adrian?
0: But but this is wonderful, Tom. This will change your life. Don't you get it?
1: I, 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 that's true. That's true. Maybe maybe if I buy the new iPhone, someone will finally love me. <laughs> I think they thinking there. Oh, oh. But, um, but, um, but, but no, the, the watch really was kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's always been kind of sort of marketed as a health device in the sense that it tells you to get your steps in it tells you to you know go get some exercise it tells you about calories and things but it was always kind of um a little bit unsure and and with the the latest um with the latest model um their heart rate tracking has become better uh it's reported that you know you can do a full-blown ekg on it which kind of tells you a lot about your heart and its health Um, it has features that can help alert emergency contacts if you fall, which is obviously, um, you know, as someone with a physical disability, that's kind of like a comfort to have in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention kind of older folks or other people who are kind of prone to falling. Do you know, how, um, do you know
0: the headline we put on it, uh, reporting on the Apple Watch for We put on we, the headline we used was, is it time to get your gran an Apple Watch?
1: I, I, saw, I saw that, and I think the answer <laughs> is uh, firmly <laughs> yeah. yes.
0: Yeah, it only costs about 450 euro, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the the Apple Watch Series Four was probably the initial breakout story from the uh, the Apple launch, and for those reasons, because it has an ECG sensor and because it has this uh, fall detection uh, technology, and these are things that ordinary people can start to relate to a little bit more than you know, uh, 93 different complications on your. Uh, on your watch face so um it'll be interesting to see where apple takes that i i have to say i have to give apple credit for moving in this direction because it was it always was a company that was about the intersection of technology and the arts but now it's moving to the intersection arts technology and health which you could argue that companies like fitbit or uh, garmin have done with uh, with fitness Um, but this is taking it to uh, another level, really, isn't
1: it? Absolutely. Are you a big user of the AirPods, the I wireless? I am
0: wearing AirPods as we speak. <laughs> I shouldn't admit that, uh-huh. but I am, I am. I love them. <laughs> I love them. And uh, why, why do you ask?
1: Oh, I, I just ask because uh, I think they're maybe the best thing that Apple has made really? in the last. Maybe since the iPhone. Huh. Maybe, okay. Maybe, maybe that is my. I'm going yeah,
0: s- to say that's a controversial view. Go on, explain why.
1: Interesting. Well, do you, do you ever, like, I get, you're a tech journalist, you you, you must know this, but you, do you ever just kind of get something and you know that you'll never have to look again for the best pen or the best phone or the best whatever, but, like, the AirPods are just such good headphones that everything kind of just works
0: y- you in know, the, uh, yeah. in, in Apple parlance? Y- you know, y- I have to say, you've summed it up pretty nicely there. The, when the AirPods were released, I thought they initially looked a little bit gimmicky and I thought it was going to be a hard slog to make these a mainstream product that most people would adopt. The thing that wasn't apparent when they were first launched, but which is apparent now because I've tested out a lot of the rivals, they're actually better earphones than most, um, than most earphones you buy. As in the sound quality and the overall fidelity of the music that you get into your ear is generally better. It's certainly better than any other wireless earphone that you are uh, uh, in-ear earphone that you can get um, for you know under 200, 250 euro. Um, it doesn't compete with noise cancelling overhead uh, headphones, uh, but they are incredibly useful. Now, my context here is I walk around a lot with big headphones on for various, for a variety of reasons, partly it's to do with concentration, partly if I'm in the office, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write something, sometimes it's it's on a plane, it's to, to keep the noise out, um, but I now, have, for the last six months, I've been using the AirPods more and more where I would have been using the uh, the headphones.
1: Yeah, absolutely, just for the kind of general headphones where, where you know, I'm not a music buff and like I, the, the quality of the sound is kind of Secondary to just you know having something comfortable but mm-hmm. and, and easy to use, just for the you know going from my apartment to work on the bus or whatever. Yep. Um, the, that sort of kind of just everyday use is really I think where they shine.
0: And the other thing about them is the, the other big worry was that you'd lose one because you know they, they look they're two small little things and they fit you know they go into your ear. People were thinking, oh, it's going to fall out of my ear. Because, oh, I have weird ears. Ear, earphones are always falling out of out of my ears. The thing that a lot of people don't realize is the reason that earphones fall out of your ear is because of the weight of the wire pulling them down. Um, totally. In, in many cases, that's actually why the earphone is falling out of your ear. Um, I've Never once has it fallen out of my ear. Never, never once. Now, the only thing that I have mislaid is the little pill-style recharging box. I w- w- once or twice, I've mislaid that. I left it once in the back of a taxi. Actually, the taxi guy came back, a very nice taxi guy. but um, And that's because it slipped out of my pocket. But that's I would be much more likely to mislay that than the actual earphones.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's so exciting to kind of think about where they could take Though next, or mm. where Apple could take the, the the earphones next, in the sense that you know, is it better battery? Is it more mm. features? So 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 as much as the the watch is kind of cool or the new iPhones, but their with their five point eight screen or six point whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, I'm really excited to see kind of what the future uh, of these headphones are for the
0: audio. There was a theory going around that uh, it was part of some grand strategy that Apple had around Siri, the voice assistant, whereby you would. Almost permanently have your AirPods in your ear. You'd have um, an integrated Apple Watch on your wrist and a phone in your pocket. And between the three devices and Siri, you would be able to do almost anything or control an awful lot without actually having to take your phone out and look at the screen. I've I've heard a few futures, a few really good futurists who I respect, like Amy Webb, um, uh, talk about that.
1: Yeah, so do you think we'll all be walking around in 10 years with two little white things in our ears?
0: I... Can, I, I think we're already starting to do it. So the Irish Independence Office is on Talbot Street. Now, it's not the most salubrious part of Dublin City, but I can tell you, I, I can already see a few people walking around with the little uh, white buds. There are loads of people who walk around with headphones already. That's not a new phenomenon. Um, but I can see a lot of people now walking around with, the, uh, with, uh, with AirPods. An early um, signal is always airports. You'll always see things like in airports, you'll always see a lot of iPads. And that was the first signal that iPads were going to have some traction. But I see a lot of AirPods now in in airports. So I don't know. I mean, but I I agree with your enthusiasm. It's interesting to hear you say that.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that it's an interesting time for technology uh, Hmm. that aren't phones. Um, I think the phones are kind of, you know, we're used to them by now.
0: Well, I still see a lot of hysteria. Anyway, on that note, Tommy Tommy Collison, our man in Seattle, um, thank you very much for uh, coming on the line with us today. And that's all we have time for on The Big Tech Show this week. Uh, please do come back same time next week with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. Till then, bye-bye.